I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guests today are here to discuss the new film, Adieu Lacan. Joining me today are David Patrick Kelly, the actor who plays Lacan, and writer and director Richard C. Leeds. The film Adieu Lacan is available to watch on Vimeo, iTunes, Apple TV, Prime, and other streaming services. Visit the main website adulacan.com. A D I E U L A C A N.com. You can also visit Richard's website, richardleads.com. Join Richard and the team at Lacan and Scotland for a discussion on May 26th. For more information, visit lacaninscotland.com. Links and more information can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Visit the main website, renderingunconscious.org. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Available from Trapar Books. Visit our publisher's website, trapar.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support Rendering Unconscious podcast by visiting our Patreon patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Your support is so appreciated. Thank you to all our Patreon patrons, the Patreon community, as well as all the guests and listeners. Before we begin, I just have a couple of announcements. I have an upcoming in-person conference to announce that will be happening October 14th through 16th in Copenhagen at Husits Biograph on Visionary Medium, Psychoanalysis and the Magic of Cinema. If you'd like to present or attend, feel free to email me at SinclairVanessa at gmail.com and for more information you can visit the Psychoanalysis Art and the Occult website psychartcult.org that's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T dot org as well the next event in our series at Morbid Anatomy Museum will be coming up on June 19th. Join us as we celebrate and honor Juneteenth with dear friend Langston Kahn, who will be presenting Animism for the Apocalypse, working with spirits and ancestors to find freedom in endings.
Joining Langston will be another dear friend, David Shi, who will be presenting Spirit Voices, the Mysteries and Magic of North Asian Shamanic Traditions. So join us on Sunday, June 19th at 2 o'clock New York City time, live via Zoom for this event. To register, you can go to Morbid Anatomy's website, morbidanatomy.org events. We love the film, Richard. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored. Um, and uh, I could honor is a word that also the uh, work uh, with DP, uh, that all, all three of the actors were just, uh, were great to work with. Um, great the conversations with which we started um, with, uh, I remember my first conversation with DP and, you know, it's, it's interesting how many um, different threads brought us together uh, that kind of, as we got to know each other, uh, we became more aware. But the first ones were, you, had, you were familiar with uh, the work of Lacan, uh, DP. I remember that from our first conversation. Um, and then, of course, we both had an experience of mine and of mine in French. We both uh, have French as a second language and had both studied mine uh, in Paris. So uh, I think in a kind of uh, way I can't really uh, uh, analyze, in, in, uh, to use a, a, you know, a, a big word, uh, they really, really helped a great deal um, in the work. Well, I, I studied in Paris uh, just after the, how do you say that? Is this really a word, the soissons huiteurs? Oui, quelque chose comme ça, oui. You know, those the revolutionary kids, you know, so I was there in 70 and 71. Yeah. And so it was when people were laying low, you know, they're kind of hiding their heads, you know, because they'd been cracked down on so hard, you know. And uh, I think it was, didn't Julia Christie, Steve, the controversial uh, student of Lacan, I think she took over his office as part of the group that took over his office, you know, when they had, you know, when they were taking over the Sorbonne and all the different universities and stuff like that, you know. And uh, so it was, it was a potent time to be there. And, um, uh, you remember there was an, uh, an American expat who did some black and white films about about revolutionary Americans who would were hiding out in Paris. Do you remember that guy's name? I can't remember his name. No, not off the. They were pretty pretty interesting about the you know the post sixties stuff happening in Paris and stuff like that with the expat Americans and things. But it, you know it was great. You know it was it was a great time to. But it. That was really the physical culture and the, you know, the cinema culture that I got into during those student years, you know, and it was only much later with Richard Foreman, you know, that I got into uh, Lacan studying his lectures. Uh, how do you call them? The écrits? Les écrits, oui, yeah. And, 
you know, and, and that was fascinating. I, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, a different language for me, you know, with the, 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 the mathematical composition, you know, the, the way he did it, but it was fun in your film uh, that Betty Milan is very proud of us too. You know, we had a long conversation about it and uh, uh, to really uh, understand more about the Borromean knots, you know, his main metaphor for the linkage between all these different parts of whatever, whatever you want to use, use it for, you know, and uh, uh, so I like that. Yeah, that, that was, a, that was a great, I remember you, you were saying you were going to, uh, you were working on an autobiography, perhaps, which you were going to call props, or <laughs> are going to call props, but that, yeah. that's a great Great prop. I mean, I remember uh, you're uh, you know, working with that, uh, preparing to work with it. And then it was completely your call about the way you used it, that moment you use it as it's the, of course, we hear Lacan's voice, his inner voice. That was part of uh, Betty Milan's. They were soliloquies in the play and they become voiceovers in the film. But that one moment is the only moment where he's by himself and these thoughts he speaks aloud, you know, um, trying to figure out what's going on with Sariema. And uh, it was a great choice. I thought something about the, the timing of that, um, that it happens while you're working on the Borromean knots and, and somehow that uh, acts as a kind of um, catalyst to this moment of insight or, or questioning was, was, was a, was a really nice choice you made there. Well, the thing I enjoy is the charged atmosphere of the film. You know, I got to say that, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I, I never spoke once to you about, uh, you know, the kind of um, legendary lustfulness of Lacan, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, but there's, there's a kind of, one of my favorite words is immanent, you know, uh, this kind of thing, this kind of, glowing power that remains within but nonetheless yeah. is kind of powerful and and radiating you know at the same time you know and uh and i think that the film has an imminence that's uh that's very powerful uh largely due to ismenia's wonderful performance you know where she's she really goes in this journey there and uh and then uh, sort of in a highlighted way a kind of uh cross-hatching way and it, it with uh, with Lacan's own life and the and the situation with his family and his his life and his his uh, you know so uh, uh, that aspect of it is really important in the film you know I've always liked you know talky films you know um, uh, my dinner with Andre and Bergman's personality films you know uh, where people are just talking and there's a vibrancy about it that's so intimate, you know, and so uh, powerful in a completely focused human way, you know, there's, there's nothing external to it. It's really, you know, you really get to peek on somebody's, you know, in a healthy way, in a healthy way, I think, you know, uh, on people's lives, you know, on, on consciousness, you know, and uh, so, the way Valentina, you know, how many films have you done with Valentina? The 
the great cinematographer. Right. Uh, we've done four films together. Well, uh, that was amazing. And the, and the uh, you know, I really love that part. And plus, I've never had a part like this in my entire career. I've done, you know, uh, action things where they want my head to explode all the time and things like that, you know, but, but not something that really represents a consciousness of, of where I'm at, what I'm interested in, you know, plays, plenty of plays, Shakespeare and Chekhov and, and Ibsen and, and uh, Richard Foreman's plays, of course, you know, but, but uh, not a screen performance like this. So I'm very proud of it. I'm so happy. It's go ahead. No, it's really great. And we were saying before when we were chatting, I, I was telling Richard, it's really nice to see a film uh, portraying psychoanalysis of, by someone who actually understands psychoanalysis. Because usually when analysts are on films, we're like doing something really unethical or, you know, there's all sorts of weird transference to us. And, you know, it's always pretty cringe. But uh, this is actually really nicely done. And the interventions were like accurate and the understanding of like when she had the hallucination about the rats and then the, the getting the phoneme and, you know, the signifiers and tying it together with her family and the names and, um, just the way the work is done and even her acting out, the way she acts out and the way she en ended up on the couch in the first place and the way the sessions end, it was just all really fantastic and really fantastically portrayed by you, D.V. We, we shot the film, Vanessa, we shot the film in order, in sequence, pretty much. And I think that was great, too, you know, just pretty much to move through it. Uh, because shooting in sequence is something you can rarely do in a film. I mean, a, a few directors have insisted upon it, uh, Michelangelo Antonioni and Robert Altman, but it's usually, can't, you can't afford to do it. If you have three scenes in a bar, you shoot them all at once. But because this was just uh, in his cabinet, in Lacan's cabinet, and then the waiting room, we were able pretty much to shoot it sequentially. And, you know, I think you really feel that there's um, a quality about the the way the characters develop, the way the analysis develops, um, which uh, this way of filming really uh, helped us to to accomplish. I think, Velocity, uh, the aspect of psychoanalysis that was interesting to me was that it's and it connects to Lacan's interest too with with in the way I connected with kind of Joyce and the surrealists. So it's like a confessional and there's Catholicism all through this idea, you know, from Betty and from, I think she was Catholic, isn't she Catholic Betty Milan too? I, I don't know, Portuguese, Catholic. Sure. Probably. <laughs> and then Lacan, but so the, the, there's the confessional aspect but then it goes into the surrealism, you know, and and which which was it of Freud's that was the big influence on surrealism? The psychopathology of everyday life was that the one that sort of uh, you know flipped everybody's switch of the surrealists, I think, and uh, uh, you know got them think thinking about things like this and uh, an interpretation of dreams. Mm-hmm. I see, you know, and. Uh, so that really spoke to me, you know, that, yes. that you know, that, uh, 
you have this thing where you got to get through past the fact that you're not asking. And it was a turning point for me early in the film where Lacan says, you're not at fault. You're responsible, but you're not at fault, you know? And it's, and that sort of opens a door for her as well, you know, to say, oh yeah, this is different now. I, you know, this is my world I'm rebuilding or building, you know, and uh, interesting, you know, insight for me. Yeah, you really, I mean, I, it was so great. I mean, you really found, I think I can say a deep affinity, um, you know, with the character, uh, and uh, you know what, how you express now how proud you are, which I, I am too. Um, but it it I mean you found a, a chord, uh, uh, something uh, that resonated uh, with you, and and it's so it makes your performance so so powerful and ethical, as you know, in a way. Um, it's a really um, uh, strong expression of, of something uh, I find uh, about you, DP, in the character, which is really, really so strong. Um, well, I hope also that it's a corrective about Lacan, because, you know, he's so uh, kind of, you know, negatively uh, depicted, you know, uh, in a way, maybe in justifiably in, in some instances, you know, but you know, there, there's something about the importance of all his work, you know, all his, you know, writings and, and, and his, you know, breakthrough ideas that um, you sort of get to come to terms with there about how he, he didn't cross lines, you know, or, or, or at least in this instance, you know, he just, you know, followed through on something and and made it happen, you know, and you, so you could see it. And and there's a kind of bizarre humor too. I mean, you were talking about the the Beckett, you know, Jack McGowan uh, aspect, you know, with the money in his pockets, you know, but it, yeah. he, he's like a, a clown of God as Artaud would say at that time, you know, he's got all this coming out of his, but it's, it, it, it's like people offering tribute to their own healing in a way, you know? And, and uh, I mean, that maybe is way too kind to say about it, but I think it's true, you know? And I, you know, that the breakthrough that she made that, you know, that Betty could come to such a creative place with this, you know, and, uh, and then pass it on to you, Richard. Uh, yes, yes. It's also to, to Lacan's uh, achievement as well, you know? Yeah, no, I was very fortunate. I mean, you know, that it really uh, starts with Betty Milan's own experience, um, her her own analysis with Lacan, and uh, that it has that as its foundation. I mean, obviously, uh, you and I were both uh, making creative choices, uh, you know, not not um, uh, necessarily always historically correct. I mean, we were taking the liberty as creative artists, and I call it a, a fiction in the beginning. Uh, but nevertheless, the fact that it was founded 
uh, on Betty's own experience is what in a way gave us the freedom uh, to, 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 to make this film. And, uh, and uh, you know, sometimes I get, I, I both get credit for your choices, DP. I get credit for <laughs> Betty's work. You know, people are always crediting me with like, great line. You know, or, or, you know, oh, it's so great at the end. He's the way he's sitting back. He's, you know, and like these are choices, you know, you made, and Betty made. And I, I you know, I just sit there and lap it up. You know? <laughs> oh, but, I'm, you know, it's, uh, you know, that auteur aspect is is, is so, such an important part of it. I, I remember so much, you know, following your direction, sitting there, you, you know, and I knew what I was thinking about and what I was bringing to it, you know, but I, you know, that mysterious thing that happens, you know, where yeah, you yeah. just say, no, if you just turn your head, if you just stand a little bit more in this, and then that has a whole painterly aspect that, you know, becomes imbued with all the things that you as the, the director are trying to, to, to say through this work, you know, and, uh, yeah, Vanessa, had you had you been influenced by Lacan, or did you, was he an important part of your? Absolutely, your yeah. I was in I was in psychoanalytic training and on one route, and then I encountered Lacan, and he completely rerouted my life in a wonderful way. <laughs> and I've been yeah on that route ever since. <laughs> So I love it. And I, I love, like you said, he is really demonized in a lot of ways. And especially like any analysts that aren't Lacanian, you know, people really don't understand him or like him. And the whole like basically inquisition, inquisition style kind of um, <laughs> torment that he had to go through from the International Psychoanalytical Association. There's still a split there, you know. Oh, was, was he put on trial in a way or something? Yeah, basically. Yeah. And he they they excommunicated him and said that you know nobody could teach his teachings and any all of his students had to renounce him. I mean, it was really crazy because wow. they didn't they really focused on the the fact that he changed the length of the sessions. Um, but they wouldn't even really listen to like what his reasoning was or what his theories were behind it. They just kind of, you know, were like, that's it. You have to go. And he, you know, he went and started his own school and then that school wanted to join the international psychoanalytics. So they basically renounced him and he had to leave again. I mean, and this is after, you know, he was a training analyst. He was a medical doctor. He'd been in training for you know, and teaching for decades. And, and they, the, that's what really bothered me was knowing that you could go through all of this training and have all these credentials and be working for so long. And then if you decide to deviate from what the kind of norm is, that they could that they could do that to you, you know. It's like where at what point in life and what point can you start thinking for yourself? <laughs> Especially as psychoanalysts, like isn't that what we do? Is like help people think for themselves and, and not right, make right. them kind of conform to these weird rigid rigid boundaries and kind of structures. And uh, our whole job is to kind of help people get out of that and find their own way. So it was really eye opening to see that the institutions could do that to analysts too, that are finding their own voice, you know? Do you, do you, do you find like there's been talk of this difference between, I forget who wrote the book about finding Freud, you know, uh, uh, 
Freud Mansoul, uh, you know, um, this split between that kind of Euro vision, mm-hmm. excuse the pun, <laughs> and, uh, and American, you know, uh, culture because of the lack of erudition, the lack of classical training, the, you know, the misreading of Freud, you know, uh, and so much because people want to just stay to these kind of simplistic Freudian paradigms, you know, rather than have other influences in there, you know, other things, you know, the big linguistic influences and and phenomenological influences that came in with Lacan and, and, and people that came after his students, you know. Do you think, uh, do you think that played a part in his, that people wanted a kind of simpler model or something? I don't know. Yeah, no, it really happened during World War II when the International Psychoanalytic Association moved their headquarters basically from Europe to the U.S. And the U.S. had already been trying to like medicalize and systematize the training and everything. They didn't want psychologists to be able to be psychoanalysts. I mean, Freud Freud even had to argue to let like um, people he knew, you know, practice as psychologists because people in America were already trying to make it just like a a medical thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when World War II happened and, you know, there was no analysis happening but very little analysis happening in Europe. Basically, like the Americans kind of took it over and started ego psychology and just really started like putting it in this kind of medical model uh, trajectory mm. where it's kind of stayed, you know. And, mm. it, you know, ironically, it also it became, you know, kind of the, uh, the Yahoo stock of the 1950s in the U.S., this very aberrant form of psychoanalysis that was very medicalized and very American became incredibly uh, advertised popular in the US, but in fact was uh, its values were, you know, very conservative and, uh, and when it fell, it fell hard. Um, But yeah, Lacan is, uh, you know, one of the reasons I've heard given for his relationship to to French is, you know, the Americans that the relation to English. I mean, there was, you know, one of the questions I would get is, is, you know, why did you do this film in English? Because for some people, uh, Lacan's relation to English is of the uh, IPA and the American efforts to control psychoanalysis. But I, you know, for me, it's, he also has a relationship to Joyce. Uh, he also has a relationship to Edgar Allan Poe. So, uh, so that whole uh, connection to, uh, to poetry and literature uh, is the affinity to English um, that I found to be able to make the film and uh, uh, not, not at all the, the kind of uh, what he was fighting against in terms of this conformity and its association with the American control, medical control of psychoanalysis after the Second World War or even earlier. Uh, Vanessa, what do you think of uh, Julia Kristeva? Do you think she was a spy or? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I like her novels. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. And I like that one. Doesn't she have a book called Acts uh, Minus One or something like that? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I used that for a, a, a patient, I mean, for a character one time. 
it was. Uh, I like that slip. <laughs> <laughs> patient. <laughs> he wasn't patient. <laughs> Do you know the the painter Henry Darger, the primitive painter? Yeah. Uh, so I thought, you know, my character was based on him. Oh wow! And uh, and I thought her analysis for obsessional neurosis of acts, you know, parenthesis yep. minus one, uh, fit pretty cool for that, you know. That's uh, amazing. And it doesn't affect you that she was a double dealer, huh? I don't think she was. I have a very good friend, uh, Alice Jardine, who wrote a biography, uh, just published in the last year, a biography of Julia Kristeva. And uh, I think she feels uh, strongly that that's, you know, a, a, a false charge that was constructed to discredit Julia Kristeva. So I have to, I have to put in a plug for Alice's book and... Uh, and, What's the uh, name of it? The, the name of her uh, biography, At the Risk of Thinking. And at the Risk of Thinking, wow. At the Risk That's of cool. Thinking, an intellectual biography of Julia Kristeva. Mm. So, um, Maybe she could come on the podcast and talk about it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll share that with her. Please do. That sounds great. I'll listen. I will. <laughs> that would be great. I also no, have I mean, to say, I also yeah, have to say, just about the film. I also love the fact that she had the dream of Lacan in the coffin and how he was saying goodbye to everyone while he was also like having these choices about his own death and demise. Um, that was really a great touch as well because that actually happened. Like when I moved from New York to Sweden, before I told anybody or anything, like several analysands like had dreams that I was moving, and I was like, "Oh my god, do I tell them now?" You know, like. But somehow it's like somehow it started coming up in their unconscious before I said anything. You're in Sweden right now. Yeah. Holy cow! What time is it? Uh, almost nine p.m. Wow, my goodness. But still bright as day. <laughs> PP, I'm in Paris. No kidding. Yeah. We are global, aren't we? We yep. are. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Yeah, I see you. You look like a atelier there. Yeah, that, it's a mansard. Yeah, with the tilted, yeah. Slant, slanted ceilings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, now, why did you shoot it in black and white? Well, there were a couple influences. You know, I wanted, you know, I was thinking about how both psychoanalysis and cinema are inventions of the 19th century. And the film that really influenced um, the, the camera work that Valentina and I developed was a, a 1928 uh, black and white silent film by Carl Dreyer, Joan of Arc. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that film. I, One of my yeah, favorites. And it was about, you know, we I, I looked at um, a TV series that's very popular um, and which has, you know, many uh, great qualities, but it was just the exact opposite of what I wanted to do, which is this series in therapy which is uh, the camera's always level to the ground, the camera's always distance. You know, for me, that was analogous to a kind of 
relationship. And I was interested in, you know, I think one of the things that I was intrigued by, I knew that, uh, you know, Lacan had uh, compared psychoanalysis or his approach to psychoanalysis to the Socratic idea of myutics of, of that the, the philosopher is in the position of the midwife. And, you know, that he can't, all he can do is help you give birth to the knowledge within you. He can't, you know, it's not about putting something in you, it's about helping you kind of give birth so that in a way, uh, Sariema has to give birth to her own subjectivity or her own desire and able to be able to give birth to a child. So that kind of double model so, but I wanted something much more about transference and much more intimate, uh, uh, you know, the feelings of guilt and shame and just real, real uh, being lost that you feel that uh, Sariema is dealing with and that Lacan is there and, and that we're very close to them. So, you know, the the, the black and white, the four thirds, it brought in the aspect of time, which was very important. You know, uh, Lacan is with his sketch and his short sessions, this element of time in the past. And, um, you know, in our own time, when uh, the, the internet and everything can uh, seem to erase our own sense of time where there are constant disruptions that the analytical session and film in our own time can become a kind of place where time is actually able to have a certain shelter and to reemerge. So the black and white foregrounded in this sense of time, this, this relationship to the 19th century and along with the four third frame uh, really uh, gives you that kind of focus on the individual subject, uh, the way um, that Dreyer was able to do uh, with Rene Falconetti, who plays Joan of Arc. Of course, Antony Artaud is in that film too. Um, but just, uh, so that was really the inspiration. That was what Valentina and I watched together and and another thing we did was we were very interested in there's this uh, Paul Schrader, who I always remember most from the from Taxi Driver, but he'd written this idea of what he called transcendental cinema, where most films try to, you know, grab hold of you and never let go. But then there were other kinds of films by uh, Bresson and Ozu and Chantal Ackerman that kind of hang back and you have to kind of come to them, you know. Um, and, you know, where there'll be someone, there'll be just a door or there, he mentions a film by Vittoria De Sica, Umberto D, where there's this poor girl who's just trying to light a match three times. And you kind of, you know, it makes you, it gives you a chance and it says, well, you know, that has meaning and, and you kind of either go with it um, or you don't. But so we, you know, Valentina and I were really um, conscious of wanting to not rush things, not worry about uh, having to uh, have this constant stimulation, but to kind of hang back and 
uh, let the details and the timing of the film have its have its own uh, pacing, and um, that was very important to us. It allows you to to get that uh, old-fashioned chemistry that I think, in my humble opinion, was there between Ismini and myself because I, there's just something really rich in in the depth of that photography you know that that lets that mm, connection you know i guess because it's it's this more limited palette you know but in a way it kind of opens up in a way that they're they're united in that as well you know it, uh not in a claustrophobic way but in a very focused way you know uh, they're both coming into this particular world and and uh, what's going to happen we don't know until the end you know and then you just have these charged moments where she loses her amulet you know and uh, and uh, you know different kinds of breakthrough moments I can't remember now whether the dancing Lacan's dancing, which is a shock, you know, it comes as a shock, you know, his interest, you know, because I've seen lectures of them, you know, I, so it's, it's, it's great. It's such a, a release, you know, to see him, uh, you know, embodying, you know, the, the world's culture that he, he so was interested in so much, you know. Yeah, yeah, I love that moment of uh, you doing the capoeira. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, and it's and it has a, you know again it, that that's a moment that really for for uh, reasons that remain opaque to me really kind of just it just works in a certain way um, you know it, it it again the idea of scansion and and meter and poetry um, and the relationship of those to tragedy you know in, in there's just an appropriateness to it. It just brings something um, to the film um, that's you know essential to 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 the film, the way the film works. Yeah, I had this like feeling of this kind of pacing of analysis where you do wait a little bit and there's some space and and the, when you had their thinking when she would get angry or when she was mad that he had said something. I think when he called her the little Brazilian and then yes. he was like, oh, why did I say Ooh. that? You know. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh, that happens. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the reasons why he's, there's a, of course, a very famous biography of Lacan uh, by Elizabeth Rudinesco, where he's kind of a cold fish. But in, in the film, and I think, um, you know, this comes out of, uh, you know, uh, there's a book by a friend of mine, a late friend of mine, uh, Alain Didier-Vile, who wrote uh, Cartier Lacan, which has, uh, interviews with all these different people who are analyzed by Lacan is a much warmer portrait of him. And of course, there, that's also true of, of Betty's writing. Um, but another thing is that you have his mortality, you know, the fact that, um, I mean, of course, you know, Lacan's writings will always be with us. Um, and it's great to return to them. But to emphasize his own ending in a way and how he how he deals with it uh i think is uh is is part of the reason along 
that you know his mortality you know this idea of the of the mortal of uh, a person who is in some way um, defined by a relationship to death and uh, that that's also his fallibility um, and that that comes across uh, it's you know I think is very very powerful and also gives you uh, a different way of, of looking at him and how he worked. Yeah, he was very human. DB, you made him very human. I also love the line where you said um, the analyst is like an actor that takes on different roles. And I love that as well, because so many analysts have like one theoretical orientation and they're very rigid and they kind of fit everybody into that view of like what their theory is, rather than changing the way you work a bit based on the person who you're sitting with, you know, which I think is really important. Yeah, it was a moment I remember that uh, Ishmania uh, Mendez, who plays Sari Ama, uh, said was for her uh, in, in her own relation to playing the character, the scene where, uh, you know, Lacan completely surprises her uh, by supporting her effort to, to, you know, get hold of, get that fetish back uh, is completely uh, surprises her and and changes her own her own way of of thinking of him and and uh, so for her that's a moment that where uh, the analysis really moves forward in 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 unexpected ways. The unconscious act. Yes. I love it. I actually just recently taught a class that I called the unconscious act. <laughs> so I love to see that in there as well. <laughs> yeah. What did it mean that I, I brought my own little figures in to put on Lacan's mantelpiece there? I mean, I guess so that's a conscious act, but you know. Ooh, say more about that. What did you do? Well, the, the little figurines are little, there's a little family of carved figurines. And I brought those in and put them on the on the Khan's uh, mantelpiece there. And there's one moment where I'm I'm looking at it, and uh, uh, so that's my unconscious act there, <laughs> you know, putting it in the film. And the, you know the the pressure. What I can't even remember if it was two weeks to be filmed this in two weeks or one week. Ten days, DP. Ten days. My gosh. You know, that was extraordinary, you know? I mean, uh, you know, we'd be, uh, we'd be cranking those lines in the dressing room down there yeah. every day, but it was, it was a great pleasure. Yeah, it's, a, it's, uh, it's extraordinary how, um, again, I think working in sequence really, really helped us in some way because um, it, it does, uh, seem to work in a way that's very integral to the to the timing of the film. Um, Where was it filmed? Um, in a distant, far off land known as Queens. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice studio. That's a nice little studio there. That was great. Yeah, yeah. It worked. It worked out. You know, so well, and you know, built in built in that little little area uh, 
uh, uh, Corey Diskin, our production designer. Uh, you know, we worked from photographs of, of Lacan's cabinet. The, the waiting room was complete fantasy. We made that up. Um, but we were, you know, we, we worked to um, make a version of his actual cabinet. Uh, we're careful about our choice of books uh, and what, what was there and how to translate, you could say, um, you know, what paintings were on the walls. I mean, there was a lot of uh, thoughtfulness that went into uh, the creation of that space. Um, and uh, you know, with Valentina, again, uh, contributing what she needed in terms of the walls being able to fly away and such. And we were obviously working on a very small and tight budget to be able to make it. Serendipity. Uh, there was serendipity. Oh, I remember absolutely. one scene that Lacan goes to his window and there were school children coming out uh, of the neighborhood in Queens there. And uh, I, I heard it in the film. I heard it. Yes. It was there. Yeah. Beautiful. Like a French neighborhood there. Love it. I used to live in Astoria right near the Museum of the Moving Image. Yeah. On Steinway Boulevard. <laughs> I miss that place. <laughs> <laughs> what street do you live on now? Oh, now I live on Storgarten, but that's, uh, that's the... The large street, it's called Storgatan, literally. <laughs> my town, I moved from Stockholm after one year of the pandemic. Uh, my husband and I decided to buy a house and leave the city and move to the countryside. So now we live in a town that's so small, there's no stoplights or even stop signs. And there are only two main streets, Storgatan and Lillgatan. <laughs> the big street and the small street. <laughs> It's a big change from New York, <laughs> but I like it. It's fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. We stayed here in East Harlem all through the pandemic. That's where we are. This is beautiful East Harlem right here. And uh, it became a wonderland. No traffic. <laughs> Central Park turned into a beautiful sanctuary. The birds seemed fluffier and the sky was blue and worked out all right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there were some pop-up hospitals, a few places. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember going to MoMA at one moment during the pandemic and it was like my private art collection. <laughs> you know, there was, was no one there, you know. Except for me and the surrealists, you know, and Monet, and uh, it was quite something. Surreal, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love, I love the story about uh, him being at uh, uh, Lacan being at his uh, reading of Ulysses uh, when mm -hmm. he was a student, you know, uh, and his relationship to Joyce, as you were talking about, Richard. Uh, that's very fascinating to me. I wonder what that was like. Was it choice reading? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, it was. The first readings of Ulysses. <laughs> wow. mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, and he used a lot of Dali's writing when he was writing his uh, medical thesis. So it's amazing. 
And I wish people would talk about that more because it's, it helps. <laughs> it helps in psychoanalysis. We don't have to only read analysts and medical doctors, read artists and writers. <laughs> yeah. Get your mind thinking in new and interesting ways. You know, the mind is vast. Very important. Absolutely. Now you're, you're teaching there, Vanessa? Is that what's happening? Are you practicing? In Sweden? Yeah. Uh, I got married. I married a Swede, so that's why I moved over here. And I just do all of my work online now. I teach online and I have analysis online. Nice. Yeah. Makes makes this life possible. <laughs> do you know Carol Gilligan? Yeah. I like her. I like that voice in a different voice. And uh, that's more my thing. The kind of a student of, but uh, Scott Peck, does it, he make you wretch or is he controversial or? I don't know Scott Peck. The Road Less Traveled? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I think you have to read all sorts of things. I think it was Murakami said, if we all read the same books, we would all think the same way. So <laughs> we need to read all different sorts of books and watch all different sorts of films and go to theater and just ingest as much culture as possible. The arts culture, that's what really sticks and lasts, you know? Who's your lodestar as a, uh, you know, as a, as an inspiration and in well, as I was telling Richard, my book that I recently wrote, I write about artists and then I use the artworks and the way they made their artworks to kind of teach people about different psychoanalytic ideas. So I write more for people who aren't psychoanalysts per se, but are interested in artists and different ways of thinking. And then I kind of sneak psychoanalytic ideas in there because I feel like if more people thought or like experienced or exposed to psychoanalytic ideas outside of the world of analysis, you know, it really helped. I mean, it really helped me. So I feel like it would really help people, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, um, you know, that was one of the great, all these years, uh, all these years, uh, my, you know, Lacan has been an inspiration to my filmmaking. And so to make this film and to have it received, uh, be so well received uh, by people who are close to Lacan's work has been uh, just, just great for me. Uh, DP, when you, how did Richard Foreman, uh, did you, when you say, you know, you're, you read uh, Lacan when you were uh, working with Foreman, was that, did, was that, something he shared? Did he share different uh, texts, different pieces of writing with, uh, with the actors? Or is it, how did that, how did that happen? Well, Richard, you know, he, he will, if you, you know, ask him relentlessly about stuff, but mostly, do you know his work, Vanessa? Do you know Richard Foreman's work? I'm not too familiar. Uh, theater you know, in, in the 70s and 80s and his big hit was Three Penny Opera for uh, the public theater mm. but uh, that he did in the 70s uh, but he's done films now he's working now in his 80s he's working on films mostly on his laptop and things like that you know but uh, his films were events every year for 
30 years, you know, in New York, you know, every year people would go see his, his, and he was deeply influenced by the surrealists and uh, all the stuff we're talking about because his wife was raised in France, you know, uh, um, Kate Mannheim is the daughter of Ralph Mannheim, the great Brecht translator. And uh, she was the, the actress in his plays for many years, you know, and I was fortunate enough to do two plays with her. Um, uh, at the end uh, uh, of her acting career. She went back to school and became a painter. And uh, um, so he would just recommend it. Kate Kate was a patient of Lacan. uh, And uh, every year, Richard's pattern was to do his plays in New York and then take them to the Festival d'Automne in Paris, you know, and... uh, and I got to do one of the last ones that, that did that uh, with him. Um, and, uh, but that was his big thing, you know? And, and so in my primitive way, reading Heidegger, read, you know, uh, Sein und Zeit and uh, um, Lacan's lectures, you know, uh, about things, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, that, that led me to, you know, Richard's ideas about language and and these, you know, um, his poetical way of directing. His his way is he's like a living painting in a way. You know, it's a, it's like a poem, you know, uh, and he just choreographs everything. You know, your emotions and everything else. And my humble contribution was in the '80s when I started working with him. I was also going back to school in my thirties, I was going back to, to school with Mira Rostova, one of the uh, people who, who taught um, Montgomery Clift and Jessica Lang and, you know, this little Russian lady, you know, and I tried O'Neill, I tried Chekhov in her class, you know, and nothing worked. You know, she would, she, it, you just, in her class, you just sit and read the scene and she'll say, stop. And that will tell you why you shouldn't be in show business, you know, and why you, you must, you know, move on to something. Else. But the thing that broke through for me was bringing in Richard's play. This original, I was working on my first original play with Richard. I'd done one musical with him, but he, he had a play called The Cure. And um, there's, you might know this, Vanessa, there's a, a painter. She wrote a book called I'm Not Being Able to Paint. It's a book and she talks about this blockage that she had. And so there were sections of that that were in this play called The Cure. And it was 1986 and we won the OB as the best play that year. And it was Kate, one of Kate's last plays and my first play working with Richard, I did four after and we did the great play Wojtzeck as well. But, you know, so that's the context, but it's just one of the many things, you know, I had to read the Bhagavad Gita, I had to read, you know, uh, uh, Nietzsche's Birth of Tragedy, you know, I had to read these kind of intense things and Heidegger, you know, uh, you know, and um, that's what he was after. He was after this kind of, um, you know, abstruse philosophical uh, world, you know, this kind of uh, poetic world, you know, but also, you know, to me it had, deep resonance for the world, the very present time in which you're living, you know, and, uh, 
those plays. And uh, so it seems like a hodgepodge, like a collage, but it, it did very much feed into there. You know, Kate would talk about the, the a few sessions she had with Lacan, you know, and how he was very much into punning and language and, you know, turning it around, you know, and just, you know, putting it out there like a, like a balloon for you to, to take hold of in some way, you know, and, uh, you know, it was very, very meaningful for me to think about that stuff, you know, and uh, uh, as it was to read, you know, as I could, uh, his lectures and, and, uh, and his followers, Kristeva, and on and on. So that's where it came to me, the beginning of it all. And uh, I'm still a mess, but. <laughs> you have your art. <laughs> I do. I do. That's right. <laughs> like Joyce with his writing. Oh, yeah. He was a mess and also a singer. He played guitar as well. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention that we didn't get to? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's just um, if people want to find out where they can see the film, um, you know, there's the website www.adieulacan.com, A-D-I-E-U-L-A-C-A-N.com. And as we get more um, streaming services, uh, they'll be listed there. And uh, so far, it's only av available to the English-speaking world. Uh, but we're hoping that uh, I'm going down to Cannes uh, uh, later this week. I'm looking for distributors uh, in, other, in other languages because there's a lot of interest in the film uh, besides the, in the uh, English-speaking world. So we're hoping to be able to uh, reach other, other people who very much have expressed an interest in seeing the film again or sharing it with other people. So. That's great. And I think it's great that it, it's in English and not like originally in French because it will reach a different audience. People in France know Lacan already, but we need more English speaking people and people all over the world to get more familiar. And Yumi's portrayal makes like Lacan so human, like I said, that I think that, and seeing the way that the, the actual analysis worked, you know, and, and the way the sessions would end, like we were talking about before we started recording, you know, people get hung up on the cut session or the short session and the way the session would stop. I think that's aggressive or mean or something. But when you see how it actually works, you know, you, and then the person comes back the next day, you know, it's just it's just a different way of working. That's kind of a more continual analysis, because a lot of analysis happens when you're not in the room, too, you know, absolutely. Yeah. So wonderful work, guys. Thank you. Thank so you, Vanessa. <laughs> thank you, Richard. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank, thank you so you. much for being here. Delighted to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. Yeah. And to see you again, DP. Take care. Adieu. Adieu, Richard. Adieu. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious Podcast. You've just heard a discussion with David Patrick Kelly and Richard C. Leeds. Check out the film Adieu Lacan, streaming on Vimeo, 
Apple TV, iTunes, Prime, and other streaming services, visit the main website adulacan.com for links and more information. You can also visit Richard's website richardleads.com and my website drvanessasinclair.net a song from a film Carl Abrahamson and I created called Lunacy. Also available streaming and on DVD. The soundtrack is available on Highbrow Lowlife's Bandcamp page. Visit highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com Links are provided in the text accompanying this episode. Visit the main website, renderingunconscious.org. And be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. As well as at TikTok at Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23. Enjoy. Two. Two.
your soul after thee. If your head explodes with dark forebodings too, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. Das Unbehagen of Classic, more pun than pun. My fur for you, ability to not own me, both more than two bodies, some creativity. Next stop, find another name that and cripples the demon and joins. Didn't manifest itself. It isn't easy being human, although we live longer and are helped along by technology and along with, and most recently, pharmaceuticals. We have no guarantee for either happiness or understanding of ourselves during a major and is while I need a mirror, something to see myself in. visible. 